1: Welcome to New Books and History, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Michael Vann of Sacramento State University. Today I'm chatting with Professor Philip Stetzel about his second book, The Faculty Lounge, A Cocktail Guide for Academics, with Indiana University Press in 2023. Dr. Stetzel is a specialist in post-World War II German, West European, and transatlantic political intellectual history. After earning his PhD at the University of North Carolina, Dr. Stetzel taught at the at Duke University and Boston College before coming to Duquesne in 2014. His first book, History After Hitler, uh, Transatlantic Enterprise, uh, out with the University of Pennsylvania Press in 2018, analyzes the intellectual exchange between German and American historians in modern Germany from the end of World War II to the 1980s. Philip Stetzel, Philip, if I may, welcome to New Books uh, in History and the New Books Network, or welcome back, actually. Thank you, thank you for having me, Michael. I was, it's
0: a pleasure, pleasure, to be back. Yes,
1: yeah. And this this is uh, going to be a different book than the, the normal interviews we do. It's a little different than the, the standard history monograph I'm I'm, uh, I'm used to. Um, but before we get into the faculty lounge, would you please tell us a bit about yourself? Um, you know, what was your intellectual trajectory uh, that led you to become the historian that you are, and um, what about that necessitated the need for uh, a couple of solid cocktails over the years?
0: So I'm originally from Munich, Germany, and that's also where I attended the university yeah, for eight semesters. And then I was planning on studying in the UK, but then also applied for for fellowships to study in the US, and ended up getting getting a Fulbright that brought me to Columbia uh, twenty years ago. And so I got my master's there, started my PhD in Germany, didn't like it, returned to the United States to UNC Chapel Hill. In 2004 so i've been sort of back and forth across the atlantic but but have been in the united states now for for almost 20 years i think
1: Wait, you're, you're you're a you're a transatlantic histo- german american historian that's correct okay yes. Yes. okay yes. <laughs> it's all falling into place now
0: uh and i think you know my 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 path to becoming a historian it's probably not a unusual one i had a really really good high school history teacher uh who taught me for three years and he made it clear to us that history is about interpretation, not about memorization. And that really resonated with me. And uh, his his way of letting us explore our own interests, our own projects, giving us advice whenever necessary, but not you know, guiding us too much. Um, I think that was an approach that really made history fun for me. And um, so that's how got started.
1: And then what, what like, I mean, I just made the joke that you are indeed a transatlantic... Uh... German American historian but what led you to that topic for your first book?
0: it came out of my interest in uh, the politics of history I've always been interested in how disciplines function and and the way the political context uh influence historians writings how the societal context shapes the questions we ask the answers we give and uh, with that in mind, I wrote a massive thesis on a, on a historian controversy in 1960s Germany about the origins and outbreak and course of World War One, And uh, using that as a lens to look at transatlantic intellectual relations, I realized it would actually be really interesting to look at the, at the entire post-World War II period from the late 40s to the late 80s and see how two countries that go from wartime enemies to Cold War allies, how that change in political relations uh, how that coming along with uh, a lot more resources available for 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 scholars on both sides of the Atlantic to go back and forth to do archival research to go to conferences, how that creates the conditions for an intellectual, academic for, for intellectual community of historians and how German Jewish emigres now teaching in the United States are intermediaries, and um, so I found that combination of different groups of people writing about Germany after World War II uh, to be a really fascinating project.
1: Does it go all the way through the historic, historic strike? Forgive my pronunciation. Yes, yes,
0: okay. Yes, okay. yes, yes. yes that's, that's, it, it, yeah. it ends with it ends with unification. Not because uh, I believe that political caesuras coincide with historical or historiographical shifts, but because in the nineteen nineties, uh, the 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 focus on nineteen thirty three as the big question: How did the Nazis come to power? What were the origins? Uh, how how far we, do we have to go back? Um, those questions then gave way in the in the 1990s uh, to, on the one hand, um, a closer focus on the on the history of the Holocaust, but also on the history of the GDR. And so, this fairly sort of neat, I think, uh, story that 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 I, one can tell from for these four decades, uh, by the late 1980s, really then goes into a different direction.
1: Yeah. Well, and and also Francis Fukuyama told us that is literally the end of history. So there's there's really no point in continuing the book after that. After, exactly, yes. uh, Well, that was November 9th, uh, 1989. Um, uh, that was so nice of him to figure that one out for us. Um, so um, this book is is a different book um, in a number of ways than your previous work. Um, uh, and in the faculty lounge, you explained that this book came out of your experience during the COVID lockdown and during the pandemic. And your first cocktail you you'd talk about was the social distancer.
0: Um, you want to tell us this origin story? Absolutely. I should make it clear at the very beginning, I think, that The Faculty Lounge is, is not your typical cocktail book. <laughs> it's rather a satirical take on academia, which uses cocktails and the the tasting notes, if you will, as as the vehicle for humor. Uh, and like you said, the origins really lie in the very first weeks of the pandemic. I uh, looked it up the other day. It was March 16th, 2020. We had moved online. My university of Duquesne had moved online the previous week, and I had just recorded and uploaded my teaching materials for the for the next day, and it was probably around five five thirty p.m. and I felt like having a cocktail. And normally I'm a gin Manhattan, a rye uh, a gin martini and a rye Manhattan kind of person, but that day I just wasn't in the mood for something different. And I thought, what what do I have at home? And it turned out I had bourbon, I had tart cranberry juice, and I had grenadine. So I took a mixing glass, put ice in it and i combined those three ingredients uh stirred it and then served it up with with an orange twist and then i thought okay this needs a name and probably not surprisingly the first name that i could think of was the social distancer and um as i think you know some of us do these days then i also took a picture of of the cocktail glass sitting on my windowsill uh in in my apartment in pittsburgh and um you know tried it i liked the taste So the next day I thought, you know what, I'll do this again. And I had seen earlier the day on, I don't know if it was on Twitter or somewhere else, but somebody had posted a photo of his gin martini and called it a quarantine. And I thought, oh, that's clever pun. Uh, I'm going to borrow that pun, but I'm going to change the recipe. So I added a splash of absinthe to a dry gin martini. Why? Well, because I had it by myself. Everybody else was absent. And then I realized, Um, you know, I was having more and more fun doing that and some of my academic friends, some of my non-academic friends who saw this on, on social media said, Philip, um, this is fun. Keep it up. And so I did. So for the rest of the semester, each weekday between five and six in the afternoon, I would come up with a recipe and then I gave the cocktail a name that somehow corresponded to how COVID affected our work as, as college professors. So over the course of the following weeks. Uh, the remote instructor came into being and the inaccessible archive and the canceled conference because I had one of those where I almost went but and didn't go Uh, and of course the cogito ergo zoom and by the end of the semester I had a repertoire of about 30 30 cocktails and uh, what was interesting at the time was that two of my grad school friends who are much more public facing scholars than I am said to me you should try to do something with this This has potential. And I didn't really believe it, but then I decided to pitch something to the Chronicle uh, or uh, in, into Inside Higher Ed. And turned out that those venues were concerned that their readers might not be able to see the difference between here's somebody making fun of the pandemic, which of course I wasn't, and here's somebody making fun of how the pandemic makes our life more difficult, which I was. Uh, so they said, no, we can't, we can't do this. We're not interested. Um, I tried next Sweeney's, uh, they didn't want it. And then I just said, okay, well, it doesn't matter. I just, I had fun doing this. Some of my friends enjoyed it too. Um, and then I just forgot about it. And it was not until August of the same year, August, 2020, my school was about to enter a hybrid semester with some of the students in the classroom, some of the students online, and I just out of a whim one afternoon put a thread on Twitter and I said, hey, another pandemic semester is in front of us. I think we could all use a drink or maybe 25. So here are some suggestions. Cheers. And then I watched in amazement how that thread uh, went viral, I guess, and was shared a few thousand times and has viewed hundreds of thousands of times. And then about two weeks later, I'm getting an email one afternoon from an editor with Indiana University Press. uh, And she says, hey, I saw this thread. I think it's funny. Would you be interested in talking about doing a cocktail book with us? and i said sure why not so it really was very much unplanned which made the whole thing even more enjoyable oh that's wild
1: so i yeah i was wondering how you pitched it to um a university press but they they sought you out and uh and this and this is another sort of twitter driven pandemic thing well i mean right right yeah may, may, may that website rest in peace um <laughs>
0: I mean that was yeah, it was, what it, a, it was a, a glory. It was within. a very, it was a very different experience from the first book where I, you know, I had to try a few publishers until <laughs> somebody got interested, and so here I am just enjoying myself as much as you can enjoy yourself during the pandemic, and uh, then I, I get an inquiry. So it was really a, it was some it was somewhat unreal experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. There were a few other scholars doing similar things. Um, I don't, you know, if you know the um Viet Tan Wen the um. Uh, Vietnamese American novelist. Uh, he wrote the the Sympathizer, where he won the Pulitzer. Oops, excuse me, but microphone. Won the Pulitzer, and um, uh, has written a number of other books. Won um, of, Macar- of MacArthur uh, Genius Grant. But he was posting uh, his cocktails that were related to, um, uh, I think, his second novel as he was working on it, and um, was was coming up with different pairings for different sections of uh, mm-hmm. what he was writing on. So. Um, yeah, it, you you definitely tapped into something going on in the uh, in the culture at this point. Um so I mean describe the book for us. Um how is it organized? What what does it look like
0: when you pick it up? Yeah, so once once the the editor contacted me and we we got to talk, uh, it was an absolutely wonderful experience working with her because she uh, she has an English literature background and so the uh, you know, we were on the same page about virtually everything. Uh, and uh, we also agreed that this should not be this should not be a book that that remains limited to the pandemic in academia, but it should be about academic life in general. Uh, and so, I uh, this book starts. There's seven chapters. Uh, it starts with a with a chapter for the for the graduate student. Um, so, for example, there's a cocktail called the dissertation committee, which has five ingredients, but you'll only ever be able to get a hold of four at the same time Uh, uh, because, of course, we all have had, most of us, if not all of us, have had that experience. Um, There's a a chapter for the faculty member. There's a chapter for teaching and grading. Uh, There's one for researching and writing. Um, There's one for the conference attendee. Uh, Of course, there's also a chapter for the administrator, which um, is probably the most caustic one of the entire book, unsurprisingly. And uh, because I didn't want to end there, I uh, end with a chapter uh, entitled Toast Your Favorite Intellectual. So there's a Max Weber cocktail and a Judith Butler cocktail and a W.E.B. Du Bois cocktail and a Marie Curie cocktail. So this is how it ends. Uh, but then, of course, the very last cocktail, the epilogue in the book, um, what more appropriate cocktail could one end a academic cocktail book with than with the, the very last word, um, which has nothing to do with the prohibition era last word, um, but it's my very last word on the the process of cocktail mixing, just because it's it's a drink that I generally enjoy. It's a variation on the Negroni, but instead of using gin, uh, Campari, and Vermouth, it uses gin, mezcal, Campari, and Vermouth. So it has very four very strong, very distinct flavors, which in my opinion work really well together. And um, that's that's how the book concludes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that, that that's one of your favorite entries. Um... What, um, what are, what are some of your other favorite entries? Um, and are they, are they your favorites because of the actual quality of the cocktail or because of the clever name or the, the pithy, uh, uh, um, little description and serving notes that you have, uh, at the bottom of the page? I think I have,
0: I would say I have, I have favorites in both, in both areas, in both categories. Uh, in terms of taste I I also really like the the 40 minute conference paper which is a a drink that you really need when somebody is just not coming coming to the end and not coming to the end Uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a variation of the sidecar so sidecar has cognac Cointreau and lemon juice and I thought I could imagine it to to be working if you replaced cognac with rye whiskey so it's rye whiskey Cointreau and lemon juice so it's a, a not at all a complicated cocktail but I think one that um, that tastes um, that's quite quite tasty uh, I think another one that I really like is the the Board of Trustees uh, but please um, use the appropriate uh, spelling, it's B-O-R-E-D Board of Trustees uh, which has white rum, tart cranberry juice, uh, fresh lime juice splash of grenadine um, and then you garnish this with a, with a lime wedge. Uh, I think in terms of um, sort of tasting notes uh, I probably would have to mention also from the admin chapter the Presidential Platitude, uh, which is a gin-based cocktail, um, because then once you've made that, the 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 instructions or the tasting note read: Enjoy, and please know how much I appreciate your willingness to go that extra mile on behalf of our university family during these trying times. Uh, when I actually first came up with this with this cocktail and uh, with the little commentary on it. And uh, I tweeted it. I got uh, a private message, personal message from a from a colleague of mine, uh, who was teaching at a, an university in, in the New York area, and said, "Philip, this is really eerie. I just got an email from my university president, more or less verbatim, <laughs> with, the, with the same with the same phrase." And so then I then, then I thought, okay, perhaps perhaps I'm doing something right here. That it's sort of a um, you know responding to the moment. I think this is also what made it made it fun that sometimes you know colleagues would say. Um, I was just in a really awful town hall. Do you have a cocktail for that? And so I, you know, started looking into it and would then come come back with, with the with the appropriate recipe. So I think, um, you know, in terms of working, the the process of working at the book, uh, on this book, uh, it also allowed me at a time when, well, we couldn't meet for conferences. Uh, we obviously, there was, you know, no, no travel was possible. We didn't even see our, our departmental colleagues that it really allowed me to remain connected with, some of my colleagues some of my academic friends in the field um which actually was really important during the pandemic
1: yeah yeah and you know that that's so funny that you said that you had a a friend respond to you right away because when i i first got a copy of this the other week um i think one of the first entries i read and, and just by the way the book is organized that each page has the name of the cocktail the recipe um the directions for making it and at the bottom these uh these directions uh for for how to enjoy it um the sort tasting notes um but I uh, I saw the desolate department chair, which is a uh, uh, two ounces of vodka, one ounce tart cherry juice, half uh, ounce fresh lemon juice, excuse me, spa- splash of simple syrup, one to two one to two dashes of cherry bitters, and a lemon twist. And at the bottom it says, "Enjoy and get to work on this twenty seventh iteration of next semester's teaching schedule before you send out the long agenda for the next faculty meeting." And I was. I started laughing and I took a, took a photo of it and uh, texted it to my uh, department chair who said, that is literally what I've been doing all afternoon. <laughs> He'd literally been dealing with our teaching schedule and putting together this long agenda. So, um, uh, poor, uh, chair, Jeff Wilson, um, was really feeling it. Unfortunately it was a little too early in the day for him to, uh, <laughs> to indulge in that. <laughs> but, um, I, it, I mean, did. It, it's just an absolutely delightful read to go through, and the, and the comments are just so um, so insightful and so fun, and um, I think really empathetic for uh, what a lot of us are struggling with in various aspects of academia. Um, so, I mean, it, that sort of raises the question, is this really a book about cocktails, or is it a critique of the current state of academ- academia or academic life, or or, or, or both?
0: I, I think I think it's I think it's both, or at least that's how that's how I intended it to be. I I think it's more a a I view it as more mostly light, maybe occasionally a little heavier, but mostly sort of light satire on academia and academic life. Um, I think you know this wouldn't have worked as an angry book. I mean, there's certainly so much to be angry about right now in academia, uh, uh, from you know the the blatant mismanagement at West Virginia University that. Yeah, we've been following um you know it's very close to, to to Pittsburgh of course so this and I know a lot of people there who are affected by um by this by this travesty and so there's there's a lot to be angry about but that would not have translated well into to a book so I decided to sort of keep it light um i mean i think the the job that it deals with administrators uh i think sort of make it clear how i feel about certain issues uh and certain arguments uh but Uh, Again, you know, it is really, I think precisely because academia, higher education is in in a really, really tough spot right now in in this country that maybe a little lightheartedness uh, also doesn't hurt. Uh, At least that's how how I've been getting through the last few years. Um, So, uh, you know, critique, you know, to some degree, but I think it's more, you know, it's more supposed to make people smile or laugh a chuckle um, and not and sort of reinforce uh, justified negative emotions that that we might have about issues that occur at our or at other, other institutions or about certain individuals who are um, you know overpaid and underperforming. So um, that's that's how I resp- that's how I resp- how I would respond to this.
1: Well, um, I think some of those individuals may be wondering how um, this book is going to fit into your uh, promotion file. Um, so how do you, I mean, I, I asked this jokingly, but also, I mean, what do you, how do you present this book as something that you did as a, as a professor?
0: Uh, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to try, uh, <laughs> you know, file for, for promotion to full professor with this book. <laughs> I. I uh, I'm I very much it's doubt with a, this is a, pro- a prominent university press it's, <laughs> it's, it's a it's a, prominent, it's a it's a prominent university press uh and uh uh my my Dean if I may say this who uh is truly really wonderful in liberal arts at my university um she granted me a, sc- a scholarly course release for the book which uh I thought was um uh, you know was 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 lovely but also showed that that the dean has a sense of humor um you know I uh you know it's it was important to me that, that this was a university press book, because uh, I think that um, considering that this is a cocktail guide for academics, that makes sense. And if, you know, Chicago, the University of Chicago Press could do a, bo- a book titled Doodling for Academics, then I think it also doesn't hurt if, if this this uh, humorous cocktail guide is published with, with the university branch as opposed to the trade branch of the press. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I... I've, I take this as a as a as a fun side project, uh, one that also allows me to uh, connect with a lot of people. I was just yesterday at uh, at Ohio State, well, I should rather say at a at a cocktail bar in Columbus, very close to the campus of Ohio State, and I met with a number of history faculty and history graduate students uh, at OSU uh, and talked about the book, talked about the origins and what's in there. And the uh, the bar had four of the cocktails from the book. Uh, in um, on the on the menu that that they were serving, uh, and that's really to me the the sort of recurring joy of of having done this book that I'm able to get out there, um, either reconnect with people I already know or meet, like in this case, um, you know, a few new people in in, in at, at other institutions, uh, and you know, we taste cocktails together and, and and laugh about the things that's in there, and uh, that to me is sort of the the, the benefit uh, rather than. The book being sort of part of my professional advancement. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I, I would, having served on RTP committees, I would suggest you put it under service to the profession. Uh, I think you've, you've, you've done us all, <laughs> done us all a solid, sir. <laughs> um, so you note that the, Ger- um, the German Studies Association played a role in uh, the history of the faculty lounge. Can you talk about that?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the German Studies Association is, is my main professional association. And uh, ever since I came back from the archives as a graduate student, I've been going to their conferences. And it's a, it's a very, very collegial uh, association with so many smart and wonderful and, and supportive people where as a graduate student, I felt very much taken seriously and and supported. Um, now that, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a academic faculty member, I'm sort of trying to, to do the same for, for graduate students who attend. So it's really my, you know, my professional home, so to speak, uh, apart from my my university. Uh, And so a number of members of the GSA uh, generously agreed to be non-anonymous peer reviewers. So I would send them the entire manuscript or I would send them, you know, certain cocktails or certain certain jokes uh, that came with the cocktails and would tell them, can you please let me know? Does this work? Do you have suggestions? Uh, So that was... Uh, one important role in which sort of the GSA um, figured, but also the couple of GSA members, uh, three of them actually um, wrote really lovely blurbs of the book. Uh, but the GSA was also a place where I uh, did this as as an event for the for the first time in twenty twenty. It was a actually a Zoom cocktail hour when we had an online conference that year for 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 pandemic reasons. And in twenty twenty one, we had a very as much smaller GSA. Uh, in, in Indianapolis and because a lot of other events that normally happen didn't happen that year there was space for them to schedule me for a live in person cocktail hour where we had the um the the 40 minute conference paper uh, and then there was a mocktail and I don't recall which one it was uh but but you know two two drinks from the at that t- at that time book in progress we were able to try and uh it was such a nice hour because you know we This was the first, I think for most of the attendees, the the first in-person conference since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, And so finally, you were not just connected through Zoom, uh, where you then log off and you think, okay, now I can go to dinner with this colleague or friend of mine, which I normally would do, uh, but actually we're able to have sort of that in-person gathering again. um, And and that was fun. Uh, And so now that the book, when the book came out uh, this um, late August of of this year, uh, I was, you know thrilled that I could show up at this year's GSA, which just met, and, and Montreal, um, last weekend and show up there with the book in hand, uh, and, you know, and show it around and say, you know, I really owe so much, this book owes so much to so many people at the GSA, Hey, and now I can, I can share it with those people at that conference. So that was very meaningful.
1: Yeah, that's fun. Is, is, I mean, to forgive my ignorance and forgive some of my, um, uh, uh, adopted prejudices, having been trained as a French historian, where our conferences uh, normally have a really excellent collection of um, uh, of uh, red wine um, and never cocktails. Uh, is there a cocktail culture in in German studies or in 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 Germany as a whole, or is it? I mean, I, I've got I've got the awful French stereotype of it being beer, right? Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think I think that's certainly. Uh that's not just a stereotype. I think that also, you know, yeah. corresponds to, you know, or probably, um, is true for, for many of the members. I, uh, I'm somewhat a weird, a weirdo who grew up, was born and grew up in Munich and actually doesn't like beer. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of, yeah. I guess, I is
1: that did they kick yeah. you out? <laughs> exactly. Uh, um,
0: but I, uh, you know, I think, I think the, Sort of this 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 cocktail renaissance that uh, you know, we've experienced here in the US now for 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 a few for a few decades. That's I think also increasingly manifesting itself in in Germany. And uh, just last month, I did a, a really fun interview with a German uh, language cocktail magazine called Mixology, and their editor in chief said to me when he scheduled that he said, "You know, I'm actually interested in talking to you about this because you're not a professional." Right. I'm not. I've never worked as a bartender. I've never even taken a mixology class, so I'm very much an amateur. Uh, and I think on that note, I should also say that um, you know, in case uh, listeners are wondering, what do I need to buy for to make these cocktails? I I kept these. I've kept these recipes uh, fairly simple, um, not only because, like I said, I'm not a professional mixologist, and I didn't think I should even try to compete with people who are doing this for a living but also because I, some of the cocktail books that I, that I own um, that I appreciate for, for a number of reasons can be a little frustrating because often they require very exotic ingredients and then you buy celery bitters you know, for one, for one cocktail in the entire book, but you never use it for anything else uh, or you are required to buy rhubarb syrup or whatever. And I thought, no, I'm going to write a book where you need a liquor store and you need a good grocery store and then, and then you're good to go. And so, I think as a as an as an academic, of course, you also uh, in an academic cocktail book, you have to have a methodology section. And if you don't mind, I would just like to share this real quick because it sort of gets the it gets my approach uh, across. So um, I say here in my introduction, most of the recipes call for ingredients that are easy to obtain. This book will not unnecessarily complicate the notion of a good libation but will instead challenge the hegemony of libational complexity. Thus, you generally will not have to interrogate the liminal spaces of your kitchen cabinet for celery bitters. Neither will you have to rethink whether or not that rhubarb syrup you once concocted is still good to use. Nonetheless, you may want to problematize which kind of liquor you prefer. Then it's time to purchase, unpack, and utilize the ingredients and to contextualize the cocktail in its proper class. So that's the idea behind it. Um, and yeah, you know, so as a result, I don't think this is a book that will require a potential reader to spend a few hundred dollars on, on, uh, on, on fancy ingredients. Right. And as
1: a good historian, you're doing some revisionism there that, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so have you got any, um, pushback or negative reaction to the book?
0: Uh, not really. Maybe, you know, maybe because, maybe it's because not enough administrators have seen that book. Uh, who who may take may take offense? I don't know, uh, but um, I think the one and I don't even see it as as as, as pushback or negative reaction. But um, at that cocktail bar I just mentioned in in Columbus, Ohio, where we had an event uh, Wednesday Wednesday evening, the the owner of the bar, who of course unlike me is a professional, pointed out to me that uh, fruit juice cocktails should be shaken, not stirred. Um, because of the the density of, of, of the juices and, and the liquor, um, and so I wrote the book. Recommend uh, stirring. Um, I also think that in terms of taste, uh, the result is is, is, is still good. Uh, but I I've taken notice that according to Orthodox mixology, fruit fruit juices are to be shaken, uh, not not stirred. And when he brought that up to me, I said, you know, and it was kind of. Just so you know, I don't want to, you know, don't want to offend you. And I said, I'm not not at all offended. And also in my book, I say, this is a cocktail book for academics. So all recipes are open to interpretation and reconsideration. (laughs) So, um, you know, uh, if you making one of these drinks and my book says serve it up and you want it on the rocks, uh, why not do it? I mean, you talked about cocktail revisionism. And so that's, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that.
1: (laughs) The the, the, the cocktail strike, right? Yeah, I, that's like my mate of dream with sorry. Um, yeah. have you had any um uh colleagues or um associate deans uh see themselves in the faculty lounge that you uh you know
0: of? No, I mean my uh my previous department chair that was chair when I was hired, uh sort of cautiously inquired whether there was a cocktail satirizing a department chair. So he was apparently a little worried about that. Uh but I could assure him that no, um the, the Desolate department chair that you mentioned before, um, sort of more commiserates with the chair about the tasks that 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 person ordinarily has to has to has to carry out. Um, so I don't think I don't think I've had anybody who would see themselves in the in the in the faculty. It was sort of more that sometimes people would uh, uh, ask me, "Can you can you do something?" There was a um, a, a colleague of mine actually, also another GSA member who uh, had a really really awful travel experience um both actually both ways coming and going to a conference and so she said is there a cocktail for that so i came up with the flight delayed scholar um i had a a friend of mine who was a contingent faculty member at the time uh, at an ivy league institution uh come from a town hall and said um i just came from a town hall with our provost and it was extremely infuriating is there a cocktail for that so i said let me get back to you in a a couple hours and um i came up with the the two faced uh town hall so um i think it's it's sort of more that that sometimes people would approach me and say can you do something about a certain issue a certain problem um so they might now see themselves as a result in the faculty lounge but i haven't really gotten sort of that response from somebody who just flip through the book um and then see oh this is me that hasn't happened yet
1: well, there were there were several sections where I thought you were looking over my shoulder over the years, uh, definitely with the the travel reimbursement page. Which um, oh yeah, we can all relate. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a few rounds of those in the, this coming year. Um, so uh, I, I I know I I think it's great that uh, there's a section for graduate students in, in the faculty lounge. But I noticed uh, you didn't include adjuncts, and I'm not trying to give you a little gotcha question there, but. Um, I mean, the, these are some of the folks that need the cocktails the most. I mean, some of the most overworked and, and marginalized and underpaid. Um, and I was trying to think of what a good cocktail for the adjunct uh, class would be. And, and um, you know,
0: pro- probably not the freeway flyer because that wouldn't be safe, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. uh, I mean, there's, you know, to me, adjunct faculty members, and I'm saying this as somebody who was a contingent faculty member for four years. And in my case, the my situation was made even more Challenging by the fact that I'm not a American citizen, so my employment status was inextricably linked with my with with my visa status, and they were you know several semesters where I not only didn't know if I was going to have anything to teach the next semester, but also whether I could actually stay in this country or not. Uh, as a result, so um, you know, I certainly I'm not you know those are those experiences you don't you don't forget even if you then later uh, lucky enough to to land it. Tenure track job and, and and get tenure. Um, I think since to me, you know, adjunct faculty are faculty. The chapter for the faculty member is also a chapter for the adjunct faculty member. And so whether it is uh, the the increased teaching load that you know, of course, that's what adjuncts unfortunately have to do teach more than than the tenure track and tenure faculty. Uh, but of course, at, at you know, vastly insufficient uh, pay. Uh, you know that that might resonate. Uh, but I also thought that if I came up with an with a chapter just designated for the adjunct, it might actually reinforce that separation between regular faculty, so to speak, and the and the adjunct faculty. and that was not my intention because I you know, i' I've, I've been there. I've been in departments where some of the of the of the tenure to tenure track faculty uh, were extremely good to me, um and others would pretend I didn't exist when um I was at the the photocopy machine. so,
1: we're um, very that's, familiar uh, with that. I did, yep. six years at three institutions as an adjunct. Um, yes. <laughs> Necessitated quite a few stiff drinks. Um, I think maybe 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 that just shots for that uh <laughs> that, that period of my career. <laughs> um so do, do you have any thoughts uh, or reflections on the culture of academic drinking? Um sort of wide open.
0: Um I think I've been uh I recently was on a uh, on a on a morning radio show, the Breakfast Club with Matt and Taylor in Cedar Falls, Iowa, which was a lot of fun. To you know, I mean, it was kind of an odd experience at seven thirty a.m. to talk about cocktails. Uh, but the question I got, one of the questions I got there, was, "Are you, aren't you concerned that people might accuse you of promoting drinking?" Uh, and and the answer is no, because otherwise every every cocktail book author. Would have to, uh, you know, would have to feel guilty about promoting drinking. My cocktail book also has mocktails, so there's certainly um, a number of alternatives—seven uh, or eight mocktails—for for people who either do not drink at all or, you know, drink occasionally. Um, the favorite of my mocktails, if I if I might mention this at this point, uh, actually a very simple one. It's the wellness webinar, and it has uh, equal amounts—two ounces of hard cherry juice and of ginger beer. And then that is topped off with with club soda. So it's a very simple, very simple drink. But in my opinion, the uh, the ginger beer and the tart cherry juice uh, is a really, really delightful combination. Um, so they're also they're also mocktail options. Um, but otherwise, uh, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, I uh, obviously the, these cocktails are supposed to be consumed in moderation. Um, perhaps also after grading rather than before. Uh, but you know, um, I would say that the the faculty meeting, the cocktail, the faculty meeting is probably one that it might be okay to hide in a coffee cup uh, as as you're sitting through the meeting, uh, especially as you sort of hit the two hour mark and it's still the agenda is still not it's still not completed
1: yeah i've I've wondered about that at a few uh, of our, our Zoom meetings that were later in the day, and I during the pandemic, I was teaching master's seminars at night, three hours master's seminar on Zoom, like, as we were trying to get used to that. And I remember one time I had a a student in the class um, who had, uh, she had uh, two or three children and it was one of the younger children and it was one of those nights and she kept having to to pause and and go deal with some sort of uh, family crisis and kept coming back. And she was looking, absolutely one of my best students, but just looking more and more harried and exhausted every time she came back. And then finally she was gone for a longer period, came back, apologized, rejoined the discussion, and I noticed she had a wine glass with one of the largest pores of wine. And like, as, as she sort of brought it up, take a sip from it, I think she saw my eyes widen, and she looked over the glass, and I swear through Zoom, gave me a look like, don't say a word, Dr. Van. And I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> we're we're all going to get through this as best we can. This wouldn't be appropriate in person, <laughs> but um, understood. Um, so you've been really generous with your time, but I've got two more questions before I let you go. And these are the, the standard, um, new books, uh, deep briefing questions. Um, first, can you suggest two books for the audience to read? Uh, can they be cocktail books? I would, whatever you want.
0: You, you are behind the bar right now. All right. Uh, so I think one, uh, uh one, one cocktail book that, that was an inspiration in terms of the, the wit's uh and, and in the, the, the cleverness that I'm hoping that at least um sometimes comes through in, in mine as well is uh Tim Federle's Tequila Mockingbird. So it's a it's a literary cocktail book and so each each cocktail corresponds to, to a piece of fiction, to a novel. Uh and it's it's very, very clever. Um and and I think my my only the only critique I had for, for that book was that it's it's one of those books where you really um you know for 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 a for, for a normal uh, uh, consumer, it's very hard to have all the ingredients at hand because often they are some that you normally don't have. Um, that's one. And then the other uh, very different book, but one that I really enjoyed, uh, it's called um, uh, The Ma- Manhattan, The Story of the First American Cocktail by um, an author named Philip Green, uh, who I think, if I remember this correctly, is an attorney in his main job, uh, but a cocktail historian on the side. And it's a it's a book on the on the origins of the Manhattan, which at some point during the eighteen eighties uh, entered the scene in, in in New York City, and it's contested the year and and the exact place. Um, but uh, it's a really well researched um, and very well written book about the uh, this classic drink, the Manhattan, which I personally enjoy a lot. Uh, and it's beautiful production, a lot of photos, uh, Manhattan related recipes. Um so I think that is that's that's a book that um a friend recommended and I got it and uh, read it in I think two evenings and and cannot recommend it enough. Excellent, excellent. And I'm gonna
1: uh, jump in and um, get behind the bar and wrote a, a book that um I thought was similar. It's it's fiction, um, but it's uh, Julie Schumacher's Dear Committee members. Have you seen that? And it's um she's a, a novelist and a professor of creative writing, I think at the University of Minnesota. And it's a uh, it's a series of letters from the same the same faculty member um to various academic committees and it, it's it's hilarious but it's also really touching and um insightful but it when I as I was reading the faculty lounge I kept thinking of dear committee members and I think that would be an excellent pairing uh shall we say um now finally uh uh last call here um oh come on that was funny last call last question come on which. <laughs> trying to get this guy to laugh uh, okay. um what are you what are you working on now and and what can we hope to see from you next?
0: Uh, I'm I have an idea for a follow-up cocktail book. I think it would be really fun, and I've started collecting materials and coming up with the first um, cocktails in 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 that in that regard would be a uh, another academic cocktail book, but one that's organized by discipline. So you would have you know a chapter for the economist and a chapter for the psychologist, or a chapter for the mathematician. And a chapter for the political scientist, and you know, and so on and so forth. And um, it would—I'm—I fa- mean, I, I'm interested in in, in it for, for 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 two reasons. A, it would allow me to actually learn more about the histories of these other academic disciplines. I mentioned that in my first book, it was a contribution to the history of of our profession, and I think I would enjoy learning more about the history of of other disciplines. Uh, but I think it also would be. Uh, you know, I'm also interested because I think it would be um, a, a book that um, would appeal to people not just in the U.S. but also in other countries. I think the faculty lounge uh, has some some cocktails and some 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 of the jokes. I think really are sort of they, they pertain really to the American academic context and situation. And uh, you know, some are probably more universally applicable, but but others are not. And I think this other cocktail book would have uh, a different. Uh, you know, would have a sort of a broader uh, appeal, and you know, you would have a uh, from the from the Economist's chapter, you would have a uh, you know a trickle-down economics cocktail where you actually you end up getting nothing. Um, but uh, so I think that could be uh, that could be fun as well. Um, so that's what I'm currently working on um, academic academic project. I'm actually um, working on a, that's not a that's not a monograph, obviously, but but more and more more an article that sort of looks at the development of the job market. For historians in Germany and the United States, uh, in the last twenty years, um, because of course, you know, when I first came here for 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 the PhD, um, the the job market in the U.S. was certainly more robust. And um, in you know, as a student in Germany in the the very late nineties and early 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 years of the of the new millennium, millennium, I, I I thought, okay, this is you know, I will never get a job at a German university um, in the U.S situation was, was a little brighter. Uh, of course those, those days are are gone, unfortunately. Um, so that's also something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in and and concerned with.
1: Well, that project sounds like it would necessitate a few, um, uh, a few cocktails at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really, really appreciated it. And, um, and again, really, really enjoyed the book and, and honest laugh out loud moments as I was going through it. Thank you. Thank you very much. So this has been a conversation with Professor That's all about The Faculty Lounge, A Cocktail Guide for Academics, out with Indiana University Press in 2023. I'm Michael Van of Sacramento State University, and this has been an episode of New Books in History. Thank you for listening, and um, cheers. <laughs>